0: Welcome to the Redeemer podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. It's good to see you. Please take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. You'll find it to the right of Psalms and Proverbs and to the left of the Song of Solomon and Isaiah If that will help you find it. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be some around you, or you can go to esv.org, and you can go uh, to the Old Testament and find Ecclesiastes uh, that way. Well, today we begin a journey through one of the most fascinating and frustrating and fearless books in the world. The author of Ecclesiastes is honestly He's too honest for some people. Not that other biblical authors aren't honest. It's that the man in Ecclesiastes picks up a topic that most of us want to avoid, and he takes it and he drills down upon it. Like a stray bulldog with a chicken bone, he doesn't let go. He gnaws on it and then thrashes on it and then thrashes again and then bites down hard, then you hear that dog crack that bone. You're like, oh, and then swallows it. This is what the Ecclesiastes author does every single verse, every single chapter. He bites down and thrashes, and bites down and thrashes, not just on these neat concepts and what kind of abstract ideas, but on areas of our life. If you stay with this book week after week, which I hope you will, you will experience a bulldog thrashing on your soul, and he won't stop. And it made me think about this past week as just reading this book and the, the tenacity of the author of Ecclesiastes. It made me think of the fight, old boxing fight, between Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. There's an amazing ESPN 30 for 30 on Evander Holyfield versus Mike Tyson. And they finally fought each other, and everyone thought Tyson was going to take it. Well, they get in the ring. If you don't know the fight, here's what's happening. Holyfield waylays on Tyson. He's just destroying him. And You might remember, what did Tyson do? He bit his ear. He let go of all boxing tactics and had nothing else to do and bit him not once, twice. Bit him on both ears, disqualifies himself, and they asked him, why did you do this? He said, I had nothing else to do. He was too good. I, I couldn't hit him. I couldn't get to him. I was losing. So the only thing I could do to try to get out of this fight was just to squaw myself. I, I had to get away from him, so I just bit him. Well, sadly, you can't bite the author of Ecclesiastes. He's going to keep coming after you week after week. And he is trying to waylay us into a corner to where we'll actually see what life is all about. Because in our lives, there's about a dozen or so messages where socially we know there's caution tape on these conversations, and you can't enter in here. The old phrase from the late 90s, early 2000s, don't even go there. No one says that anymore. Uh, But the show Martin really brought that to life. Don't even go there. Don't go there with me. The author of Ecclesiastes says, I want to go there with you. I want to go there with you, and I want to put my finger in your chest. I want to make you think about it. So let's go there. Because there has to be more to life than what meets the eye. If not, if there's not more to life than what meets the eye, then this is a miserable, horrible, sorry existence. If this is it, what we see, then what's the point? The author of Ecclesiastes wants to take us on a tour through life on earth and show us there is more to life than what we see and that we cannot forget it. Don't you dare forget it. So let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 1, and since this is the authority of King Jesus, let's stand in honor of the reading of his word. And the Spirit says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity. What does man gain by all the toil which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, and it goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea. The sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity." and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom there is vexation. And he who increases in knowledge Increases in sorrow. Let's pray together. Holy Father, now, would you help us by the spirit of the risen Christ. To behold the words of this preacher. To behold the words of you, the great preacher. May your word pierce through us even now. We would hear what is chasing after the wind what is vanity of vanities? What is it to live under the sun? So Lord, help us now by your resurrection power to even apply our hearts now to know wisdom and instruction and understanding that we would not chase after what is fleeting. Help us now, Lord, and do only what you can do. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we recently took a trip, a family vacation to Washington, D.C., and we took one of those tour guides where you get on a bus, double-decker bus, and it's open, and you're taking a tour of the city. If you've ever done one of those, it's great, and especially in D.C. It was, it was really great because you're going to all the amazing monuments and seeing all the cool buildings, and they're giving you fun history and giving all kinds of insights, and the tour guide was a hilarious guy, So it just made it so much more fun. But imagine you're in D.C., and you're gonna take another tour. But all the other tours are all full, except this one. This, this one guy's open, there doesn't seem to be a lot of people going to his bus. You're like, well, let's go to his, he's available. You walk in, and this guy's not laughing. He's not telling any jokes, he's grizzled. He's got the frowny faces etched into his face. And you say, hey, good morning. He says, Just sit over there. Okay, and you sit down. Bus finally fills up, he shuts the door. And he says, good morning, I guess. There's a lot of tour buses in the city. A lot of them give you all the cotton candy version of the city, but not me. We're going to take the real tour of Washington, D.C. So let's get real. You pull up to the White House. Wow, the White House. And he says, you know who lives here. You know what happens here. You know the scandals that have happened here. You know how these are all supposedly great men. And yet... They all die, just like the homeless people around the corner, all buried in the ground. All right, let's go to the next place. He takes it to, oh, here's the offices of Congress, Senate, House of Representatives. Oh, sure, they're supposed to be working for you, and some do. <laughs> but I've seen the sideways deals, the shenanigans, the posturing, the lies. I've been here longer than any tour bus driver. I know what happens in this city. These people sell themselves out for votes, then they lose the vote, then some other sorry sap comes and takes their place. And then the other guy's selling cars back in his hometown. After a few minutes, you're about, okay, we're, I'm done. This, this is fun. I'm ready to get off. And he says, no, you have to stay till the end. I'm not letting you off. You paid for the whole thing. You're getting the whole thing. Because if you don't make it till the end, it won't make sense. This tour of Ecclesiastes that we've just entered in, if, you, if we've read chapter one, you might be thinking, I'm ready to get off now you can't. You have to stay throughout the whole journey of the book. So even if you're not here all these weeks, I would encourage you, go home and read this book this week. Read it. There's 12 chapters. You can break it up however you want, but if you can make the time, read it in one sitting because you have to see the entire arc of this book because what you will find is the author of Ecclesiastes is not a grumpy guy. He didn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and he's angry at the world. He didn't spill his coffee and then drop his iPhone in the parking lot, and he's all mad. He's not that kind of... This is... He isn't cranky. He's prophetic. He's making us stop and consider reality. Some people think Ecclesiastes is like a deranged homeless man. I've heard one of scholars talks about the wisdom literature like this, that we think of the book of Proverbs like sitting down with an old grandpa and getting great advice, and we think of the Psalms as kind of a hippie soundtrack. Some of it we like. Some of it's just kind of too depressing for us. And then we think of Sol- Song of Solomon as like some adult video store. You're not allowed to go in there or, or look around. It's, don't read that until, you know, you're older. And then Ecclesiastes is kind of like this homeless man s- shouting all kinds of crazy stuff down the street. He hasn't bathed in a while. His signs all scribbly. Just ignore him. But Ecclesiastes has so much more to show us once you know who this is. So who is this man? Who is the one shouting all these crazy things? Verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So I think it's pretty clear who this guy is, even though a lot of scholars with a lot of time on their hands like to argue about who this really is. Well, who is the son of David who is king of Jerusalem and who has a thing for writing wise things? Solomon. Here is King Solomon. So this isn't the chronicles of some deranged man. This isn't the Facebook rant of some cranky Christian. This is the insight of Solomon. What we have in Ecclesiastes this 12 chapters a, a sermon. He calls himself a preacher. A cohesive lesson from Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived and whoever will have lived outside of Jesus. I mean, even the Queen of Sheba would come to listen to him. Other nations and other rulers would come to Israel and say, I want to hear Solomon speak. I want to hear his wisdom. And here we are. We've got his wisdom. We've got Solomon's Proverbs. We've got Solomon's song. And now we have Solomon's sermon. What what did he learn? A lot of people think Solomon wrote Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, at the beginning of his life. Then Proverbs came in the middle of his life. And then if you know Solomon's life, he went into great idolatry, went into great sin, turned away from God, and then he repents. And then people think Ecclesiastes is the message at the end of his life, what he's experienced, what he's seen, what he's learned. And he's the preacher here. So while I'm here preaching, there's another preacher at work. Solomon's words with the power of the Holy Spirit, and the, this is the Word of God going forward. And he summoned us together. This is why this book's even named Ecclesiastes. If you know just a little bit about New Testament, the Greek word for church in the New Testament is Ecclesia. gathering, assembly. That's all that means. And so here you have Ecclesiastes, the song. We've gathered around to hear from Solomon. What do you have to tell us? Because Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but when it was translated into Greek, that word preacher means summoner, assembly gatherer, convener. So he's assembled us together, and here's his lesson in the Ecclesia, in the Ecclesiastes. What does he have to show us? What's his attention getter? You know, first words always matter. It was going to have your attention getter. you got to start out with a good zinger, get everybody in. Well, what's Solomon's attention getter? Verse 2. First words matter. Here it is. Vanity. Oh, I'm in. Right? This is like, oh, this is a bizarre beginning not just once. He says this word five times. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He's saying everything here now is starting out with, I mean, when you repeat a word five times in one verse, that's pretty amazing. You're trying to get people's attention. You want them to consider something. And especially in Hebrew, they didn't have the superlative that we have. Words with the ist on the end, like funniest, craziest, holiest they would say holy of holies so they didn't have a word like vainest they would just repeat it vanity of vanities and this word if you have niv or another translation it may say meaningless meaningless meaninglessness says the preacher all is meaningless meaninglessness and vanity those are two words that they kind of catch the sense of this but but not fully they're trying to make an interpretive decision for us of what Solomon's getting at. We can appreciate that. But I can tell you, I've had one Hebrew class. I started my first Hebrew class this last week. So now I'm fully ready to give you a lesson on every Hebrew word in this passage. What, but amazingly enough, my professor, he did his PhD on Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11 in Hebrew. And I thought, man, I should have had you come and preach this Sunday instead of me. Because he wrote 400 pages on these 11 verses. Uh, Be a long sermon, but I think he could do it. (laughs) And we were talking about the word vanity. And he said, No, yeah, what Psalm is doing here, the word literally just means breath. It means mist, vapor, fleeting, escaping. And even the word that's translated here, vanity, it's the Hebrew word, it has a, it's havel. So you can hear the, they're supposed to say it that way. So in Hebrew, it's Havel, Hevelim says the preacher. Havel, Havelim, all is Havel. Five times he's going ha, 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 ha. He's drilling his point home to show us everything is but breath. Everything is fading away. Everything is mist. Everything is fog. Just like when on a cold day that we've had a few times, and you see your breath, and it's gone. You can't be like, oh, this is great. Oh, it's gone. You do it again. Oh, there it is. Oh, it's gone. You can't like, oh, I'm going to save this moment. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to put it in my pocket so I can remember. It's gone. The steam off the cup of coffee this morning, it's it's gone. It's there. It's gone. Vanishing. You can't catch it. You can't grab those moments, condense them, and go, I'm going to save this in a jar, and I'm going to look at it. It's gone. And he says, this is all of life. Everything is like this. Life is a disappearing act. Each moment is gone the minute it happens. Enjoyable moments are gone, replaced by the next moment. And you hear people saying things like, oh, I wish I could freeze this moment and just stay in it. What, are the, what is that? It is echoing. It's fleeting. I, everything's fleeting. I, I can't stay in this moment. It's vapor. Poof, gone. And in the finale of one of the greatest shows ever on television on the, in The Office Andy Bernard has a powerful moment in the last episode. He's looking at the confessional camera, and he's doing like a one-on-one, and he tells the camera, I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before you actually left them. I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before you left them. Echoing, it's just gone. You, you can't stay in it. It's all fleeting. It's all leaving. I mean, I can't believe that my, my daughter, she's now seven. It just seems like she was born. It's gone. I'll never have a little Ivy baby again. It's over. It's gone. I'll never have the six-year-old again. It's gone. She's seven. We'll never have the father-daughter dance moment again that we had last night. That one, those moments, gone. I remember them, but they're gone. All of life is this way, and this is what he wants to do. Now that was his opening, kind of the if he's handing out brochures. That's vanity, vanity. It's all vanity. He wants to take a ride, and we stumbled in on accident. And he says, well, let me tell you what the rest of the tour is. Look at verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Now, that phrase, under the sun, you've got to remember that phrase. It's going to keep occurring throughout the book, and it's already happened five, four times already. Verse 3, under the sun. Verse 9, there's nothing new under the sun. Verse 13, That's done under heaven. Verse 14, I've seen everything that's done under the sun. So he's not talking about what's happening in heaven. He's not talking about what's happening in eternity. He just says, I want us to think about what's happening in the complete global human experience from Adam to the very last person, from a tribe in Papua New Guinea to Tomball, Texas. What is happening under the sun? What do we all experience in some, the same shape or form? What is it? What does he say? What does man get by all the toil? What do you get for the 40 hours you put in every week? You get a paycheck, cool. What happens to that? It's gobbled up. You got to buy stuff. You got to pay for stuff. And you got to do it again. Tomorrow's coming. Monday's coming. And then another Monday. And then it just on and on and on. What do you get by all the hard work of renovation you put in your house? Kids make it dirty. You got to clean it all again. Something else breaks, you die, and the house gets sold, it's gone. Your kids don't appreciate it. They say they liked it better the other way. I do the dishes in our house. No one can say I did the dishes. You're always doing the dishes. <laughs> a clean sink is fleeting. It's there for a moment. It's gone. I mean, my wife Natalie, she's always doing the laundry. It's mountains of clothes, and I've got, we've got more we're making more right now. Here we go, more laundry. Here you go. It just knots up. What do you get for all the toil? You get to do it again. That's what you get under the sun. Look at verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The earth doesn't care. One group of people clock in, one group of people clock out, and the earth keeps ticking. The River Jordan, it doesn't care that Abraham died. It doesn't care that Moses died. It doesn't care that David died. Doesn't care that John the Baptist died. You see, like all these people keep dying, great people, but River Jordan keeps going. The earth keeps ticking. Let's say you even become great in under the sun. You get a bronze statue. You get a wing of a hospital named after you, a library. You get a star on the walk of fame. Oh, that's that's something. Yeah, well, homeless people sleep on those. People drop their cigarette butts on those stars. Who cares? No one, you walk into a hospital wing, a library wing, no one cares what the name of it is. Hardly anyone even cares about the books that are in there. It's all fleeting. It's all vanishing. It's not concrete. I mean, look at verse 5. The sun rises, the sun goes down. Same thing every day. Nothing new. The wind goes around and around, does its circuits, goes around. Does it ever complete its job? Verse 6, nope, going to do it all again. Jet stream's gonna do its thing. El Nino's gonna do its thing. It's just gonna keep. We're never gonna get to the day where the wind goes, whoo, finished. <laughs> it just keeps going. And look at verse seven. All streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. You ever think about that? All these rivers all dumping into the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. Gulf never gets full. Try this in your bathtub. <laughs> it's gonna get full is looking at the earth and going, this thing keeps drinking and is never satisfied. Keeps getting filled, but is never full. Well, wh- why is he telling us all these things? Because creation is a faint echo of our lives. We do our jobs over and over and over again. I, I preached this week, but in all this time preaching again, I got to do it again next week. You do your job, do it again, do it again next week. We go up, we rise, we go down again. We rise, we go to sleep, wake up, do it again, and again, and again, and again. Monday's coming. Lawn day is coming. Funeral day is coming. Spring cleaning is coming again. You see, this is why Jesus says in John chapter 4, when he meets the woman at the well, and she's there all by herself, she's a very promiscuous woman, has many men, and Jesus talks to her and says, Hmm, I have something I can give you to drink. Are you thirsty? And she says, you don't have anything to get water out of the well. How are you going to give me something to drink? He says, no, why don't you go get your husband? What's that? He's pointing out to her, you're like the ocean. You keep drinking, but you're never filled. I can give you a living water by which you'll never thirst again. She's like the sea that has rivers pouring into it, but it's never filled. And Jesus says, oh, I can give you something that will fill you. So Solomon's pointing out, we're just like the woman at the well. We're just like this creation because we have have come out of the dust. The dust we shall return. And so there's got to be more than life than what we see, than what we experience. Look at verse 8. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear is filled with hearing. He's saying here, life wears us down, and we refuse to admit it. We're exhausted by trying to impress. We're exhausted by trying to be something we're not, and we refuse to admit it, especially Americans. We'll just keep going at it and keep going after it. We'll keep adding plastic to our bodies, keep stretching our skin, keep injecting fat from other parts of our body to other parts of our body to prolong the inevitable. Solomon even says, you refuse to even tell. You refuse to admit to yourself that you don't have the stamina, that you don't have the energy, that you don't have the power, that you are worn out, that you cannot find infinite meaning, value, and purpose in a finite world under the sun. Here's what he's telling us, that you cannot, you cannot define your life on steam. To try to find all your meaning and value and purpose on things under the sun, you might as well try to put all of your hope in fog. Try to put all of your value in your identity and in your job and all the things that you accomplish under the sun, you might as well just put all your put all your 401k on steam. It can't hold it. Nothing under the sun can sustain your life. That's verse 9. Look at verse 9. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. What do you mean by that, Solomon? There is nothing new under the sun. Look at verse 10. Is there such a thing of where it said, "Oh, look, this is new. See? told you? What does he say? It's already been in the ages before us. You're already thinking, "Oh, well, iPhones are new, right? Okay, well, what, what is an iPhone? It's a communication device. We've been communicating since the Garden of Eden. It's not new. It might be more efficient, but it's not new. Well, email. We've had Pony Express. We've had smoke signals. We've had, you know, flashes of light. We can communicate. This is not new. This is more efficient. They're not new. The movie industry is a perfect example of this. Reboot after reboot. Remake after remake. We are running out of stories. There's nothing new. And even if you take Avatar, that movie Avatar, and the script to Pocahontas, they are exactly the same, except one made a lot more money than the other one. What does this mean? Look at verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is what C.S. Lewis, I love this. He calls it chronological snobbery. We think old things are bad just because they're old. And we think new things are better just because they're new. Black and white movies, oh, they stink because they're in black and white. Because they're old. That's what people say. Like, oh, the new ones, oh, so cool, all the graphics. Or the inverse, we think old things are better just because they're old. And we think new things are worse just because they're new. It's wrong. We, we assess life wrongly. And I, I made a comment last year in a sermon that eventually the day is going to come when no one will give a rip about the Beatles, where they won't be featured on iTunes, they won't be, all this, they won't be at Super Bowls, they're going to be hawking their you know, CDs on a 12 a.m. infomercial. And a brother in the church who will remain nameless said, It will never happen. No. Last year, Kanye West and Paul McCartney performed a song together. And people on Twitter were saying, Who is this McCartney guy performing with Kanye? And some of you might be going, Who's Kanye? Another guy tweeted, I love how Kanye shines light on unknown artists. (laughs) Someone else tweeted, who is Paul McCartney? His career about to blow up thanks to Kanye. (laughs) This is a band who said, we're more popular than God. Generation later, people go, who are you? Why is this old guy desperate to be famous? And people today, I have friends that go, Beatles, music stinks. Their song's only two and a half minutes long. <laughs> and realize there's kids in building A, in building C. You mentioned September 11th to them, it means nothing to them. Because there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be. Things will happen in their life, the next generation will be like, I don't care about that. It doesn't matter to me. You mentioned other people, you mentioned Jimmy Fallon, you mentioned Drake, you mentioned Kylo Ren. And the elder elderly, like, what are you talking about? Is that even English? Or what are you saying? <laughs> Here's why. Because under the sun, significance is always shifting. Under the sun, significance, just like the shadows, are always shifting. This is why Solomon starts with fleeting. Everything's fleeting, everything's vanishing. The, guys, the next best thing is the next hand me down. The next best thing is the next hand me down, the next garage sale item, the next thing that you don't care about, your kids don't care about, and that no one cares about. I remember being in high school and I had to have this Iowa cassette stereo system. Oh, I worked a job, saved my money, begged my parents, please help me buy this Iowa stereo system. And then after being married for a while, my mom found it up in the attic. She goes, Do you want this? I'm like, why? It's trash. It's garbage. You can't even salvage the speakers anymore. Just trash that thing. Not even 20 years has gone by. You know, yeah, that thing's garbage. But I had to. Oh, it's like, oh, this is going like, to fulfill all these wildest dreams I have. This is going to make my life feel complete. What's psalm saying? Is, it's, it's just fog. It's just dust. It's just mist. So there are things in our lives right now that we just think, man, I've got to have that. This will give me meaning this will give me significance. This will give me purpose. If I could get that raise, if I could get that promotion, if I could buy this thing. Solomon says, no. Under the sun, everything is vanishing. But there's got to be more. There has to be more to life. Because if he's saying everything's meaningless, then why keep preaching? Why not just say everything's meaningless? Okay, see you later. Because obviously there's got to be meaning somewhere. I think this book, believe it or not, is an evangelistic book. He's trying to show us where real meaning and value can be found. And it's not under the sun, but what is beyond the sun. Look at verse 12. Here's why I think it's also evangelistic. Solomon's giving us his credentials, his street cred, for why we should listen to him. Jewish people would know why they should listen to Solomon. Gentiles, Queen of Sheba, why listen to him? Verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. Here's why you should listen to me. Verse 13. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. He says, I know. I know how things have occurred. I know how the earth shakes out. Listen to me. And he says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. That's that's a hard sentence. That's a very hashtag real talk sentence. What does he mean by this? He says, look, after Eden tailspinned into sin, and God didn't repair it right away, And now, as Romans 8 says, the earth is eagerly awaiting and it's groaning our adoption of sun so it too can be made new. He says, now, life under the sun, it's very hard. It's very difficult. It's very painful. It is often an unhappy business to just live under the sun. Why? Look at verse 14. Because I've seen everything that's done under the sun. I've seen the fame. I've seen the fortune. He's going to go through through the rest of the book, if you hang with us. He's going to say, I tried to find meaning in fame. I tried to find meaning and accomplishments. I tried to find satisfaction and money and women and pleasure and all of it, he says. It's vanity. Just chasing after the wind. I've seen everything that's done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. That's what he would tell every person that played the Powerball. It's not going to make you happy. It's going to ruin you. It's just dust, mist, vapor. And you're just creating more strife and fight for those who come after you. Because f- f- verse 15, what's crooked cannot be made straight. I've recently gotten into vinyl. I love vinyl records. And there's some, uh, some that I was given, they're kind of warped, kind of bent. You really can't do anything about them. They're just gone. They have straighteners and flatteners, but they, they, don't, they can't get it back to what it was meant to be. That's what he's saying. When things get crooked, when they go out, you, you can't get them back. It's, it's over. Things get crushed in this life. But humans, we fight against this reality. Here's what you must learn from Solomon that anything under the sun cannot give you meaning that will last beyond the sun. Anything under the sun cannot give you an identity, a meaning, a purpose, or a joy that will outlast the sun. I mean, Johnny Manziel. Once a star college football player, his life is cratering in the media. His career is probably all but over. His own father said, I, I just hope he makes it to his 24th birthday. And he said, this is a very perceptive and scary but really insightful line. He said, I've been hoping and hoping that Johnny Manziel would not be consumed by Johnny football. I've been hoping and hoping that Johnny Manziel, the real Johnny Manziel, would not be consumed and overtaken by Johnny football. Because what's chased under the sun will consume you if it's not left in its proper place. Job, money, success, sex, food, drink, fame—none of those things are bad. In and of themselves, they are not bad. But when you try to find ultimate meaning in those things, they become meaningless. Unless you have God at the center, then everything takes on meaning. Then whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, it can be done for the glory of God. It doesn't become meaningless. It becomes meaningful. If there's nothing new under the sun, then there is nothing worth ditching Christ for now or ever. There's nothing new under the sun. No experience, no emotion, no feeling, no night. Nothing experienced is worth ditching Christ for, now or ever. These things under the sun aren't wrong. It's our twisted pursuit of them, putting all of our weight on them, trying to worship them. It's like chasing after the wind, verse 17. I applied my heart to know wisdom And to even know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is but striving after the wind. I remember being a little kid up in Dallas. We started catching fireflies in these jars. And it moved to, I'm going to bring some of this wind down. I'm going to bring some of this Dallas air down to Houston air. Maybe it'll help our humidity. Silly kid. Adults, we do the same thing. Our pursuits, this emptiness that we chase after. like Chasing after the wind. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven beyond the sun where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus, the one who is greater and wiser than Solomon, is asking us, where's your treasure? Under or beyond the sun? Where is your hope? Under or beyond the sun? What are you banking on? What are you looking to? Ultimately, where is your heart? If you came to my house this afternoon, and I'm trying to make homemade ice cream, and you hear me huffing and puffing in the kitchen, and you're like, man, what's going on, Jeff? Oh, this stinking machine, it won't freeze the ice cream. And you go like, man, let me help you. And you look, you go, well, yeah, that's a coffee pot. It's an ice cream maker. (laughs) Solomon wants us to think about our lives and realize, am I I trying to make ice cream from a coffee pot? Am am I trying to make lemonade from apples? uh, Is my focus and expectations in life wrong? Am I I leaning my life into fog? What Solomon's doing in this book, in chapter one and through the rest of the book, he's crushing us so we can be free. He's trying to put us into a corner and say, do you see the fleeting nature of life? Do you see how all these things just dissipate? Do you see how life under the sun in this post-Eden world, this is a world desperate to be made new. You can't find your hope in something that's longing to be made new. So what's the solution? What's the answer, Solomon? I I hope you'll stay with us the whole time. I know that some of you are visitors, some of you are popping in, some of you won't be here for every sermon. And so we have to study this book differently. The people who heard Solomon's sermon, they wouldn't have studied it like we are, like just one chapter at a time thinking about it. They would have heard it all because if you only hear one chapter, this book was depressing. You've got to hear the whole thing. So how does Solomon end? Look at chapter 12. This is the grand theme, his grand conclusion of the whole book. Look at chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. So is everything meaningless, Solomon? Yes. Well, what do we do? What do we do under the sun? Is everything under the sun meaningless? Yes. What do we do? Remember your creator in the days of your youth. What else do we do, Solomon? Verse 11, the words of the wise are like the goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. So he's just said, I've been hitting you with nails this whole book, and you can't kick against them. But verse 12, my son... Be aware of anything beyond these. Don't listen to any other one else. Other people are going to try to tell you meaning in life. People are going to tell you where to find significance. Of making of many books, there's no end. And of much study, there's weariness of the flesh. Verse 13, the end of the matter is this. You want to know what this book's all about? What his grand conclusion is in all of life? Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. What are we to do under the sun? Fear God. Walk with God is what this means. It doesn't mean be afraid of God like Adam and Eve in the bushes. It means to fear the dishonoring of God. To fear not walking with God. To want to be with God. To want to honor God and keep His commandments. Abide with Him. Follow Him. Heed His words. But even that, this can't be the ultimate conclusion. Fear God and keep His commandments. That can't be it. We know that can't be it because no one in this room can say, Oh, I've kept all the commandments. I'm good. Instead, we should hear this and go, That still doesn't feel like enough. I can't keep the commandments. How many times have I sinned? If this is the whole duty of man that I fear him and keep his commandments, I have fallen woefully short. I'm in trouble. I'm still under the sun. It still feels meaningless. What do I do? This is where the rest of the Bible gels in together and reminds us that there is one who has kept all the commandments for us. There is one who has feared the Lord perfectly. There is one who has obeyed every command of God. And now he looks at us and says, to all those who are under the sun, I came under the sun. And I feared the Lord and obeyed his commandments. And now if you'll look to me and believe, if you look to my cross, if you'll look to my death, if you look to my resurrection, if you'll look to me, I will take you to a place beyond this sun. I will take you to a place where there will be no more need for the sun. For I, the Lord your God, will be its light. And you will be my people. Jesus is the only way that we find there is meaning under the sun. Because there's meaning beyond the sun. Because ultimately, if Jesus is still dead, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then who cares? Then our faith is in vain. Our life is in vain. Everything is pointless, and we Christians are to be pitied most above every human on the planet. But if Jesus is alive, if he's not a pile of bone dust, if the cross actually did pay for my sins, if he actually is alive, sitting in the heavenly places, if there is life occurring beyond the sun, if there is a heart beating, if there is a Jewish man sitting at the right hand of the Father with life beyond the sun, sitting in the heavenly places, then there is meaning. Then there is life. Then there is significance. And Jesus says, come to me, the one who is greater than Solomon, and I will take you there. And I will give give you living waters, and you'll never thirst again. I will give you a bread that you can eat and you'll never hunger again. I will give you the life that you need. Eternal life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus did that for you? If so, then you know, yes, there can be life beyond the sun. Life here doesn't have to be meaningless. Because with Jesus at the center, now everything takes on meaning. When the Lord of all, when the Lord of life is at my center, then everything takes on meaning. Now, I can do everything, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, it can be done to the glory of God. Solomon would say, without God, without fearing God and keeping his commandments, they would be meaningless. But now with God and now with the one who kept his commandments, everything's meaningful. But we've got to be honest with ourselves. Jesus invites us into the light, into his cross, And to his resurrection light, I think the book of Ecclesiastes is making us want to long for the resurrection to come, where there will be a place where there isn't just empty toil, a place that looks a lot like Eden again, where we'll live in the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem that's waiting to come down, where we'll reign and rule and dwell with King Jesus forever. There is meaningfulness with Christ. Do you see it? Do you want it? He'll give it to you freely if you look to Jesus and believe. So as we begin this journey, buckle up, because the bus hasn't even pulled out of the parking lot yet. The tour is just beginning. Let's pray together.